Well, hey, good morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here. If you're a guest, welcome to Clear Creek. It is an honor that you're a part of today's gathering, and you've picked a great day to join us because we're in the middle of a series called What Are You For? Looking at four of the core things that the church has historically been for. And I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 15. Don't flip to the slide yet, but we'll get there in a moment. While you're turning there, tomorrow's a big day. It's one of those holidays where we get to remember those who have participated in providing for us the freedom that we so enjoy. Tomorrow's Veterans Day. And so what I'd like to do real quick, if you have or currently are serving in any of our military branches, would you just please stand where you are? Go ahead and stand up. We'd like to just thank you for your service. Go ahead and stand. And church, would you thank them with me? Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, one of the things about being a part of a church like this is we do believe that it is one thing to state we believe something or that we are for something. It's a different thing when we begin to demonstrate it with our lives. And certainly the men and women who serve in our armed forces have not simply said they believe in something, but they have demonstrated it. So we're so grateful for you. Now, here's the thing in this series. What are you for? We are looking at this big idea that what we are for or what we are against, that's how we are known. In fact, go to this next slide here. One of the things that's so important here is that everyone in this room, everyone that you've never known, everyone or organization or church is primarily known by what they are either for or what they are against. And we know people who are primarily known by what they are against, right? Because they are the critics. They're the complainers. The ones who always look at the dark side, the black speck on the large white sheet of paper. They are the ones who are pulling back instead of going forward. We know people who are known by what they are against. But, but, we want to be a church that is primarily known by what we are for. We want to be the ones who are proactive, not reactive, who speak vision to a world that needs it that is moving towards building something of value and purpose. And are there moments where we have to draw a line in the sand and say, no, we can't go there? Absolutely. But we as a body of believers, and I believe the church is at her best when we are known primarily by what we are for rather than what we are against. And so we're looking at four things over four weeks that we as a church are for. Last week we looked at the very first one. We said, we are for, what's this word, church? I love it. Jesus. We are for Jesus more than anything else. He is our man. He is our message. He is our mission. He is our Messiah. And I don't have any more M words. He's just a really big deal. Amen? That was uninspiring, church. Let's try this again. He is a big deal. Amen? And so our mission and our message, we are for Jesus. But now, but now, here's the other thing. Week two, today. Because we are for Jesus, we are also for the next generation. If you want to write this down, today's title is We Are For the Next Generation. That's why we will do whatever it takes short of sinning. Hear me now. We will do whatever it takes short of sinning to bring the next generation to faith in Jesus Christ. We will have people like John willing to get a haircut by a bunch of um, hyper 
um, barbers, shall we say? Uh, We will teach in an age-appropriate way. We will do silly things. We will do serious things. We will find ways so that the next generation will know Jesus. And here's the reason that we are for the next generation. We are for the next generation because God is for the next generation. How many of you believe that God is for the next generation of believers? In fact, if, if you're not even sure about this, let me just show you that the, the book of Acts, it's the history of the first couple, three generations of Christians. And one of the things you'll notice as you read through this story about how the Jesus movement began is how God is so concerned that someone else, that another group, that another set of believers, that the next generation would come to faith. In fact, before we move any further, I need to be real clear though. When we say next generation, that does include our little bitties. That includes our biddies, and that includes our big old biddies, right? So this is our kids, this is our, our middle school, this is our high schoolers, but church, the next generation are not just our kids. The next generation includes everyone who is not yet a Christ follower. The next generation includes your barista at Starbucks. The next generation includes the teacher working in the classroom next to you. The next generation includes that guy on the treadmill who's just trying to hang on for dear life at the gym when you're at the gym. The next generation includes that mom in the PTA. The next generation is your neighbor. The next generation are the people that do not yet know Christ, including, hear me now, some of the next generation are your family members who you pray to God will come to know know him. And so today, we're going to talk a little bit about this. And one of the things we see throughout the book of Acts is how much God loves the next generation. Let me just kind of blitz through this before we get to Acts 15, because you need to see this, that God is all about the next generation. In fact, wherever you see highlighted words, I want you to join with me in saying that, okay? So we're going to read the highlighted words together, but notice this. The, those who accepted his, this is Peter, those who accepted Peter's message, this is from last week, were baptized and about, say these words with me. 3,000 were added to their number that day. The church grew. God cares about this. But many, this is now chapter 4, many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. So the church continues to grow. God cares about the next generation. Continues. More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were, say this with me, added to their numbers. And then chapter 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. Notice this. So it's continuing to grow. And then in chapter 6, verse 7. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith over and over and over. Do you hear this rhythm? And the church grew. The church grew. Someone else who was not yet a follower of Jesus came to faith. Someone else stepped across the line. Someone else was baptized. Someone else said yes to God. Listen to me. The church grew when the church valued and said, we are for what God is for. We are for the next generation. In fact, the church did not simply grow numerically, it grew spiritually. When its focus was on the next generation, people came to faith. Marriages were restored. Families were reunited. Communities were changed. We're going to actually read about one community, a city that completely changed because of the gospel of Jesus next week. 
But what you need to know is that God is for the next generation. And here's why. You see all these, the word number and number and number. You're like, is God all about the numbers? And here's what you need to know, that every number matters to God. Every number matters to God. Why? Because every number has a name and every name has a soul. Every number has a name. And every name has a soul. Right now, there are numerous little souls worshiping over in kids' church. And I pray to God, every one of them will call Jesus Savior and God their Father before they meet him face to face. How about you? Every person in your neighborhood has a soul. And we should be on our faces before God Almighty, begging him to save them, to bring them to faith, so that before they meet him in eternity, they would meet him today. Because God is for the next generation. And the church got this for so many years, but then things got complex because as those who began in the faith were Jewish and they started to share the message all over the Roman Empire, all of a sudden people who did not have Jewish backgrounds began to be coming to faith. A Gentile population, people who are not of the Jewish tradition. And this created some complexity. But the church continued to grow and to be for the next generation for about the first 20 years. But after 20 years, the church began to struggle with an issue. In fact, they faced the very first major church controversy. And before I put up on screen what that controversy is, I want you to know that this church controversy that they dealt with, and we will look at in chapter 15, is the same controversy that every church will face. In fact, it's a question, and how we answer the controversy question will determine What happens for the next generation? And I want you to know, church, some of you, some of you, because some people in your past got this question wrong, some of you left church for a season. Some of you have family members who have left and are not back because of this very same controversy. Some of you have neighbors who will never darken the door of a church building because of this controversy. The controversy is very simple. It's this question. Who is the church for? Now, we've just said we are for the next generation, but you know there's a difference between proclaiming with one's mouth and proclaiming with one's life what we are for, right? And so we're going to look at what happens. So join me in Acts chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on screen, but here's what happens. Acts 15 verse 1 begins, some men came down from, notice this now, Judea to Antioch. Judea was a Jewish area to Antioch, which was a city that was a dominantly Gentile city. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at this time, and there were many who were coming to faith, but they were Gentiles. And so some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, notice this now, unless you are circumcised, Unless you are circumcised, I know this is getting awkward for some of you, according to, notice this next word, the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So let's just pause there. What was happening is the Hebrew people had for centuries followed the Mosaic law or the law given from God to Moses. And part of that law was that one must be circumcised to show allegiance, unity, communion with God. And in addition to that, they were to keep 613 laws. 
And so now, as the gospel is being spread, as people are telling others about Jesus, now some people who were good Pharisees, and you say, is that just a word you're making up? No, no, actually, we're going to hear it. They were Pharisees. They start going around, they begin to come to these people and say, congratulations, welcome to loving Jesus, but you're not quite there yet. Because if you really love God, if you're going to follow him, it's not enough that you trust Jesus, that you are baptized into him. It's not enough that you give your life to him. You now need to demonstrate it with surgery. Can you imagine that altar call that Sunday? I mean, seriously, you know, the guys get up, they're like, love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you come on down front. We got a pair of scissors, okay? Some of you are going, that's too far. And they would say, no, it's not. And so they are creating a controversy for those who are coming to faith. So consequently, here's what happens. Verse 2, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas were two uh, Christians who had been going out and telling the Gentiles about Christ and bringing them to faith. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles about this Question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, which was the hub of Christianity at that time, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So notice, they've come to Jerusalem, and there's going to be this major church meeting. First one in the church's history, where they were going to debate who the church is for. And listen, if they had gotten this wrong, if they had gotten this question wrong, I want to submit to you that the church would either not have grown at all or certainly it would not have reached the people that it has now reached. If they had made secondary matters primary concern. And so they're going to debate it. And they're going to work through this. And so verse 5, notice this. Then... When they're at this meeting, some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. Isn't that interesting? By this time, Pharisees, those who had been part of the group who had had Jesus executed, some of those very people are now Christ followers. Isn't it cool to know that God can save legalists? I'm so grateful. Any legalists in the room here? No, you don't raise your hand because anyway, okay. They were saved. But notice, sometimes we can be saved and still get things very wrong. I think it's an important thing for some of us to recognize. Just because you're saved, we all still have room to grow. Amen? Some of us don't believe that. Let's try this again. Just because you're saved, do we have room to grow, church? Yes or no? We do. So some Pharisees then say this. They stand up and they say, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met to consider this question. Now, verse 7 begins a series of uh, testimonies. The first one now is by Peter. And he gets up and he says, go to this next slide here. After much discussion, Peter, one of the lead apostles, got up and addressed them. He says, Brothers, You know that some time ago, say these words with me, God made a choice. Who made the choice, choice, church? Tongue twister. God, among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God is the one who chose who should be saved. He is the one who gets to decide who is in his family. Do we as children get to decide who's in God's family, church? No. No. 
Who gets to decide who's in anyone's family? The parents of that family. How do we address God? Our Father. Our Father decides who's in His family. And Peter is saying, listen, we didn't get to decide who is in and who is out. God made the choice. And so he goes on and he begins to lay out some testimony and reasons for this. And then after he gets up and speaks, Paul and Barnabas, the two missionaries, begin to say, here's what God is doing in the lives of Gentiles. And then after they get up, finally... This one man stands up. His name is James. Go to this next slide. James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Now, here's an interesting thing. By the way, one of the reasons that I believe Jesus is God's son is because his earthly brother, James, thought that he was God's son. Quick question, church. What would it take for you? Let's just do it this way. Any of you have an older sibling? Can I see some hands? Okay, keep your hands raised. Keep your hands raised. How many of you believe that your older sibling is God himself? Anyone in here? All hands go down. You have an earthly brother, earthly sister, and you say, what would it take for you to believe that they are God in the flesh? Now, I know some of you, your siblings think that they are God in the flesh, and growing up was a pain because of it, but James who did not believe that Jesus was God when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry. It wasn't until his resurrection that James gave his life to following Jesus. He believes it, and he gets up and he says this. When they finished, James spoke up and he says this, it is my judgment, therefore that. Say these words with me. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult for anyone who is turning to to God because we are for the next generation. Now here, let me, let me just sort of give you some peace, some of you who are worried about this. Does this mean that we ignore sin, church? No, no, of course not. Uh, does this mean that personal opinion and, and, and just the way, well, they'll do their thing, we'll do, our, does it, we just let everyone do what they want? No. But we do not put roadblocks in the way that God himself has not put in place. I don't get to choose who's in God's family. You don't get to choose. And it's not our job to make it difficult. It's our job to make it easy for people to come to faith who are turning to God. I was thinking about it this week. What are some of the ways that we make it difficult for people? And I'm sure you could put a list together. I could put a list together. But I was thinking categorically, I think some, sometimes... We make it difficult for people to come to faith when we turn and are more focused on our preferences than people. When we're more focused on a custom that is not required by God rather than preaching the Christ who saves us and draws us to God. These are ways that we make it difficult for people. Now, I want to give you real quickly this morning... Three things that I believe will help us be for the next generation. I'm going to run through these very quickly, but I want to give you some tangibles here. Because it's one thing to say we believe this. It's another thing to say I'm going to live this. So the very first thing, these all start with the letter S because, yes, I'm a preacher and I'm paid to do alliterations. You didn't know this, but I get a bonus for every alliteration. So that's just uh, that's what I, I work on. Here's the first one. 
To be for the next generation means that you share Jesus Christ. Let, let me be very, very frank. I am not for the next generation if I won't share his name with someone who needs to know him. If I am unwilling to speak the name of Jesus to someone who needs to know Jesus, then I cannot claim that I am for that person. If I'm more concerned about my comfort or my reputation or the way people look at me, I must share with word who Jesus is. To be for the next generation means that you boldly but gently share Jesus with others. And there's a couple ways we do this. Let me give you a social way and then a a close-to-home way, the social way. How many of you like to go out to eat? Anyone in here like to go out to eat? Awesome. Then I'm talking to you. When you go out to eat, here's a very simple way to begin sharing the name of Jesus. Are you ready? When your server comes and gets your meal order, and then they bring the order to your table, here's what you say. At some point when they're either getting it or giving you your meal, you simply look at them before they walk away. And in as sweet and nice and pleasant of a voice and face as you can muster, you say, we are about to pray. Is there anything that we can pray about for you? Real simple, real simple. We are about to pray. Is there anything that we can pray about for you? Let me tell you the number of times that people have said yes. They give a prayer request. Or sometimes they're like, yeah, but I'm not sure what. And so I always joke. I say, well, you can pray for a good tip. Now, if you do that, you know what your job is after the meal, right? So if you don't want to do that, don't joke that way. But sometimes you'll be like, hey, look, can I just pray for your health? Can I pray for your relationships? Can can I pray for your family? And here's what's amazing. The number of times people have not only said yes, but they have either grabbed my hand. No joke. One day I was sitting and there's this big burly guy. Honestly, he looked like he'd spent a little bit of time. You know what I mean? Uh, And he'd just gotten out of prison. I mean, that's sort of the look. He's this huge football guy. He had tattoos everywhere. And, And when I said, can I pray for you? He goes, absolutely. He tells me what he wants. And I'm thinking he's going to walk away. He doesn't walk away. He finds my hand and he like grabs my hand and lifts it up in like this victory hold. And I'm like, let's pray. And so we do. And you get an opportunity to speak the name of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you the number of conversations that follow from that. The people who have then sat down in my booth and said, here's what's going on. Or the follow-up questions that come because you say, well, what can I pray about? And they say, well, my daughter, things are happening in this way. And then you're able to say, well, let's pray. And then you follow it up with, hey, tell me more. Is there anything I can do? What, what's her name? I'll tell you the number of people who have found their next step because of that one simple question. We're about to pray. Can we pray about anything for you? Is a massive mover for people closer to God. Now, I'll tell you, sometimes it doesn't work. In fact, this past two weeks ago, Michael and I were at lunch. We grabbed a bite to eat at a place, asked the uh, waitress, and we said, hey, we're going to pray. Can we pray for you? And she just looks at us and goes, nah, I'm good. Turns around and walks off. We go, all right. You know what we did? We prayed for her anyway. So that's a simple thing. Here's the second thing. I want to give you something tangible for at home. This is real easy. You saw the video a couple minutes ago. But this Wednesday night from 6 to 7.30 in the gymnasium, if you are a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, or if you have neighbors in your neighborhood who have small children or children of any age, this is for you. So listen up. 
We are about to enter into a season of the year where everyone is paying attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's Christmas. And during, not Christmas, but Christmas, during Christmas, this is a time where you can press into that. And so one of the things that my wife and I have been doing now for about seven years is we will have a Advent reading and activity for our kids. Advent simply means the coming or returning of Christ. And so we have this one real simple project. We use this little Bible, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Do any of you have this book already? If you don't have a book and you can't afford it, you come see me. I will get you one of these. But with this, there are these wonderful little ornaments that you're going to get to make. And it takes people through Jesus's family tree. That's why it's called the Jesse tree or the Jesus tree. And each one of these ornaments, every night, you basically pick out the next ornament. It has a little number on it. It has the picture on it. And it'll even have the name of the story found in this Bible. You don't have to figure out the story. You just go to the pages and read them. And then you give them to your child to put on the tree. Your grandchild, your niece, your nephew, you give this to your neighbor and say, we love you, we just want to share Jesus this season. And here's the thing, here's the thing. My kids love Christmas for all the same reasons that you and your children do. But one of the things that they look forward to more than anything else every year is this because it's where we get to recite the story of Jesus. And it's so simple. Listen, you don't have to be a preacher to be able to preach to your kids the good news of Jesus, family. You share Jesus. You share Jesus. Number two, real quickly here, you serve others. Man, if you are for the next generation, it's impossible to simply speak it. You've got to show it. And this goes beyond telling your own children. This goes into the realm of sharing it with other people. And so I'm just going to be really, really candid with you. We believe that it is our call to reach the next generation for Jesus Christ. And remember, the next generation is everyone who does not yet know Jesus. So what this means is when we gather on Sundays, for us to do what we do here requires an army of people. And we are very thoughtful about what we ask people to do and how to invest. But you need to know that when you come, whether you are helping people get in the door from the parking lot. By the way, did you know that the sermon begins at the parking lot, not in here. Because what people see and hear from you determines how they feel. We've had people in some churches, you've seen this, you've seen people pull into a parking lot of church, they look around, and because of the scowls on the faces, they turn around and they're gone. We don't want anyone to turn away because of us. We want to draw people in. And whether you're helping the parking lot or the greening team or a kids minister, you're teaching a class or leading a small group, or you're in the cafe or wherever you may be serving, maybe it's ushering or the tech team or whatever it may be, we need you unapologetically. This body works best when the body works together. Amen? And so we need you to serve, but not just serve physically. I'm just going to tell you right now, one of the ways that we say we're for the next generation is by how we give our own resources. Every week we have an opportunity to give. And my wife and I, we have, because I forget things really badly, she'll tell you this. We use the app and we give financially to this church. Before we give to anything else, we give to this church. We believe that is biblical. You start in your church. And we do it in an electronic format, so every week... It's taken out because we believe that it is a priority to share what God has given us so that, so that the blessing of God can be shared with others. Now, I will tell you a funny thing. If you're like us and you feel really nervous about not putting a physical thing in the plate because of electronic, any of you ever feel nervous about that? Can I see some honest people this morning? Really? Is that it? Well, okay. If you were hypothetically awkward about that, 
You can do what my wife and I did. Every Sunday for a long time, we would either take a check and we would void it out, fold it up, put it in the plates, or a note like, God bless you. And so I'm not making this up. So the, the guys who were counting this every week, they'd come through and they're like, nope, the digs are here. They said, God bless us again. And they'd keep going. But if you're one of those, you need a, a way just to do it so you don't forget. You get on the app, you, be, you go ahead and set a regular recurring gift because here's the thing. If you are for the next generation, it cannot simply be words. It has to be deeds as well. And here's the third and final one, and I think this one may be the hardest for most of us. If you're for the next generation, you share Jesus with what you say, you serve others in your life with your time, talents, and treasures, but number three, you sacrifice preferences. And this one's hard for me because I am a selfish person. There are things that I like a certain way, and everything in this culture tells me it ought to be my way or the highway. But what I see in this text is there's a group of Pharisees. Did you know there are modern-day Pharisees as well? Who say that the customs of man are more important than the souls of people. And I would rather hold on to my tradition, I'd rather hold on to my preference than reach people for Jesus. Now I want to give you, as we're about to close this morning, I want to show you guys a picture of what we're talking about here. I'm going to get some help real quick. Uh, Thomas Mitchell and Leela, would you guys come forward real quick? And uh, while they're coming up, also Caleb Collier, where are you at, man? All right, Caleb, come on down real quickly. I want to give you a picture of what they're showing in this text. Can we do that? You guys like visual pictures, anyone here? All right, so come on up real quick, real quick. Hey, Miss Leela, how are you? Hey, can you all welcome my friend, Mr. Thomas and Miss Leela? Can you say hi or wave? Or, yeah, come on over here, come on over here. All right. Now, here's what I want you to do, sweet. Here, hold on. Everybody say, hi, Leela. Hi, Leela. Okay, there we go. This is your church. They love you. Here's what I need you to do. Can you help me with something? Okay, I want you to come over here. All right, now. Church, Leela represents the next generation of believers. She is someone that already is beginning to follow and learn and grow. But let's not just think about Leela here. Let's say she represents everyone you know who's yet to follow Jesus Christ. And our goal, our goal is that she would go from where she is now and that she would take her next step, stay right there, but she'd take her next step into her father's arms. That's the goal. And by the way, when we meet Jesus, we will not be asked, how is your worship service? We will not be asked, how is your event? They will say, and we will be asked, how many people did you get into the hands of their father? Now, here's what happens, though. Sometimes, because of our own backgrounds or feelings, sometimes, come on over here, Caleb. Uh, we, we have some people who think that it is their divine job uh, to be like, well, this. Here, could you, could you put this on for me? Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, go ahead and just look, look at everyone right here. Um, sort of our, our spiritual bouncers. You get that reference? If you do, you have a past. And so, but here, let, let, let's kind of finish the, the look there. Okay, so, so we have those who think that it's their job to be the gatekeepers into the family of God. And so they say, well, you want to get to your father, that's fine, but you've got to go through me first. I've got a checklist of things that you must meet before you can reach your father. All right, so Leela, here's all I want you to do. I just want you to go to your dad, okay? Just go to your dad. Now, Mr. Caleb is not going to let you do it, okay? But you try to get around him. Can you do that? Go ahead. 
Keep going. Keep going. Keep trying. Don't let her. Don't let her. Don't let her. All right, now, now pause. Pause right there. Now, quick question. It's funny, but what if this was a real story where this little girl was trying to get to her dad and there was a man who was physically trying to keep her from her father? How many of us would be laughing? Most of us in here would not be crying either. We would be filled with righteous indignation and some of you would be saying, look, I may be small, but I can bite his kneecaps. I will take that guy out because no one gets the right to keep someone from their heavenly father. How many of us in here would be breaking down doors to bring this little girl home? I love those videos where you see little children being reunited with their father or their mother who have been away on military duty and you see the child's face when they see their parent, their eyes beam, often tears fall and they run. How many of us here would do everything in our power to get that child to be reunited with their father? So this is the picture. This is not the picture that we're supposed to see. In fact, Caleb, could you show everyone the picture of what we're supposed to do to help people get to Christ? Now, church. You guys are seated. Thank you. We are for the next generation. And how we answer the question, who is the church for, will determine how many lost children get to go home. There's a quote that Walt Lever made last year that just blew my mind. And, and if you will, put this up on screen. He asked this very important question, what would you do, church? What would you do to ensure your children or your grandchildren would call the church their home? May we be a church that not simply by word but by deed says to the rest of the world, we are for you. We are for you. And we'll do everything we can to carry you to our daddy God. We are for the next generation.